This is My Rank Edges Busted, a podcast produced by Agriculture Victoria. I'm Gemma Pearl, and here we talk about all things climate and farming. In this episode, Agriculture Victoria's Dale Gray, Graham Anderson, and I talk to Cam Nicholson. We spent some time talking to Cam, so much so that we've had to split this into two episodes. In this episode, we talk about the factors that go into how people make decisions, a concept that Cam has formulated over a number of years. Episode 2 will then enable you to consider what you have learnt in Episode 1 and highlight a practical option on how to make better decisions, one in which Cam personally uses on his own property. But first, we should introduce you to Cam. So, I'm Cam Nicholson. I'm a a uh, private agricultural consultant uh, based just out of Geelong in Victoria and a farm with my wife as well, sheep and, and cattle. Uh, we've been in the advisory game for about 30 years now, uh, mainly dealing with uh, livestock, bit of cropping and also some natural resource management stuff. Over the years, we've worked with you and you've always had a great knack for trying to tease out decisions. And in this world that's overwhelmed with lots of information, we hear people talk about decision-making all the time and increasingly that decision-making is a skill. So from your observations and experience, what have you found out about levels of decision-making ability amongst us? Yeah, it's been a, um, an interesting learning curve for me, I suppose, because um, when I first started off as a sort of an advisor or consultant, you seemed to think that you needed to have all the answers and I'd tend to present stuff to people and then was often miffed once I'd went gone away that um, people would make a different decision compared to what I was actually thinking they would do or what I thought the, the logic or the information I'd put to them that seemed to make sense to me uh, just wasn't being followed through. So I became really interested in how are people processing this information and how are they actually going about making the decisions they make. And to cut a long story short, I've, you know, through a lot of sort of reading and bits and pieces, Realise that decision making really is a skill. It's a skill that's, uh, I think pretty poorly taught. If you contrast it to the way we're taught to read and write, to do arithmetic, you know, you started that in probably before primary school and you've spent many, many years enhancing those skills over time to get better and better at it. But when you actually look at the decision making side of it, I can't remember ever being taught decision making at school. I was taught how to research and get lots of information, but actually putting that in a process to use, I yeah, didn't really recognise that I'd been taught that. But in the work I've been doing, I'd come across some people that I just thought, you always seem to make good decisions at the right time. You just have this uncanny knack of being able to do that. And so I spent some time in the early Grain and Graze program uh, interviewing a lot of farmers that I considered to be really good decision makers and they certainly followed a process. They had a skill set there and they followed a process. And that, in a sense, stood them apart from a lot of other people that I saw that were really struggling sometimes with some uh, key decisions they needed to make. So you've dug into that decision making and, and talking through those farmers that, that have a bit of a knack for good decisions. What, what do you mean or what do you understand by when people talk about a good versus a right decision? Yeah, it's interesting because the two words are often used interchangeably. And look, everybody wants to make the right decision. You want to be able to look back in hindsight and go, yep, that was the right decision. That was you know, the right thing to do. 
but the challenge we've got particularly in agriculture is you've often got to make decisions and then you've got to roll the dice and then you've got to hope that you get the outcome that you want. And I've seen some people that have made a decision, then rolled the dice, and so we, we go through the season and you've made a decision on what you're going to sow or what you're going to sell or whatever it might be. And then at the end of the day, you look back and go, oh, that was the wrong decision because it didn't turn out the right way. So I make a distinction between a good decision and a right decision. And to me, we should be concentrating on trying to do, make good decisions. And by a good decision, I consider one that's informed at the time and then hope that more often than not, it's going to be the right decision in hindsight. So it's really sort of a time thing. The other thing I found useful if you approach it that way of this idea of let's concentrate on trying to make a good decision or the best decision we can at the time is that if it doesn't go right, we can always look back and say at that point when we made the decision, was there anything else that we should have considered or did we put too much emphasis on certain factors and not enough on others? That can become really important in recurring decisions. So something that you've got to do year after year or time after time, being able to reflect on it and say, well, at this point in time, these are the things we considered and this is the importance we placed on them. Did we miss anything? Was there any other signals or things out there that we should have picked up on that we didn't? So, yeah, I think that is important, that idea of good versus right. This comes down to the the skill or the discipline in the decision-making, and I'll separate out thinking through the decisions and what are important from what are the facts or the information that we've got now. And I do see there is a something that commonly people do is because they've got a couple of bits of information in their head, head you know, they turned on the country air and they heard that the price was going to do this or the season was going to do this or whatever else, and that tends to dominate the way they think about the decision. When if you can just put that aside for a little bit and just say, what are all the key things I should be considering around this decision? And I'll talk in a minute about this idea of a decision matrix that I use to help in that sort of discipline, all those steps. Then you bring the information in once you've created that decision thinking. And so separating the two, I think, is important because otherwise it will colour your view very much. And so what's latest or what's the last thing you heard or the last thing you worried about tends to dominate the decision when on balance it probably shouldn't. And we've heard you talk before about um, the, the head and the, the heart and the gut, but why, why are facts sometimes not enough for people to choose a particular decision? Or how, how do they interplay the sort of what's going on in people's head versus their heart and gut? It's a, I suppose that's a very simple way of, of distilling what I consider to be the influences, main influences in a decision. And I've been taught with a, a classic sort of science background where the, the facts in a sense are king and we want to understand those those facts. And, and that's been really important in agriculture and really important in decision making. You know, what is the information telling us? What is the, we do analysis on this. Is this variety better than that variety is? We make decisions a lot on on fact, but it's not the only thing that influences our decisions, particularly when they become what I call complex decisions, when there isn't one right answer, when there are different ways to get to the outcome that you want. And in a lot of cases in farming, we all want to say turn a profit, but there are different ways of achieving that. And so when you've got these more complex type decisions, then you've got to realise that it's not only the facts that um, should be driving that decision. 
And so when we talk about the other two factors, the heart and the gut, they're important. So the heart, just, just briefly, is your, your values, your beliefs, your preferences. They're basically the things that are important to you. And you know when people are making decisions and the heart is influencing it because they'll be willing to defend their position. And I've seen quite often people say, no, no, just stick to the facts. Forget about all that other stuff. Just stick to the facts. When you don't, because in a lot of cases, your decisions and part of what you are as a person come through in those that, that heart side of it. So your preferences. And, and it, it's a really important one to surface. Because if we hide them, quite often the thing that is the most important in the decision never gets spoken about or never gets uh, never gets surfaced. And the other one's the gut side of it. And so the gut being your intuition and your past experience. And when I started doing some work around risk and how we assessed risk in farming and what sort of analysis did we do to work out, if you like, from a facts point of view of how much risk was involved in this decision... I realised very quickly that it was actually coming from your past experience. So your position on risk or your thinking about risk around that decision was based on what your past experience had been. And so I thought, gee, where in the decision-making do we actually bring in past experience as part of this, as well as the facts and as well as your you know, values and preferences? And so that's how we came up with this idea of head, heart and gut. And I've realised now as an advisor particularly, with, as I said, with the complex decisions, unless we can get the head, heart and gut on the table, there'll always be something below the surface that I'm not aware of that's going to influence that decision. And it's just almost one of those unspoken things. So now I actively try and seek those the head, heart and gut uh, influences. We asked Dale how the head, heart and gut plays out with an autumn climate forecast and the subsequent decision-making. The autumn time is really problematic. It's it's the time where people's heart, I suppose, is saying, I, I, I need some information here to make the best decision for the coming season, where the, uh, the facts would say that at that time of the year, things are pretty iffy most of the time. Not all of the time, but the vast majority of times, there's not a lot to go on. And even if the models and things are saying something, you perhaps shouldn't be taking too much credence of them. And then we've, it's interesting because then we've got the gut because then we've got people's most recent experiences of where the models may have said something and they did something in autumn and that proved to be a really good decision. They were vindicated by that. <laughs> and the next year when the models are saying something, they're, they're going to be remembering that and going with it again and it might work or it may not. And they suddenly they're really confused about, gee, what's going on here? And people's memories aren't as good as history where history would say that you know this isn't a really good decision to be making at this time of the year but my recent my most recent experience says that it has been and so yeah I'm always thinking about that because we have some recent years where the models got things right quite early with the benefit of hindsight but in my 17 years of experience that has not it's rarely been the case in autumn but, but I think what you just said there, Dale, is, is so important. Your 17 years of experience informs that decision more than someone that's new to the game. My gut is bigger, so to speak. <laughs> All those scones and morning teas, Dale, that is. But, but what's, what, what's also important in that is the, or the, 
what do I call it, the weighting that you put on that bit of information compared to a whole lot of other things. So in making the decision in a sense of what you might do or what you might plant, there are other things that play it as play as well in that decision. So it might be things around what commodity prices are doing, access you've got to different varieties and bits and pieces. I heard a classic one last year of someone that had just bought a new cedar, so they were going to sow. Didn't matter if the cedar was going to be wet or dry. <laughs> they bought the new cedar and they were going to give it a go. So there are other things that are going to influence that decision rather than only the seasonal forecast, even though the seasonal forecast is an important part of it or can be an important part in those decisions. It's not the only thing. And I think it's uh, getting that balance and understanding that there are multiple factors and getting the, the balance and the weighting on different components is pretty important. And as you get more experience, you might weight them differently. If I was saying anything, Gemma, just about the head, heart and gut with the forecast, because I think the head the head is sort of more about the facts and the stuff that might come out of the science community and seasonal forecasts and models and all of that stuff and telling us about what the Pacific Ocean's up to. And, you know, that's a lot of what the break sort of does, tries to share some of that fact information. But from a heart point of view, we know there's a lot of farmers that either have a bit of trust in some of this or an interest or they just think, nah, uh, it's all gobbledygook for me, so I'm going to look at other areas for my, you know, uh, indicators of what the season might do. And then the gut, it's really interesting. It's around that past experience. So we know what works really well is when you talk about a particular Indian Ocean dipole um, phase that might be brewing, but also say that, and that happened in, you know, 2016 and it happened in 20, uh, you know, a previous year, Suddenly, suddenly that's, um, you know, brought the gut to life because, because farmers can remember those seasons. And that's one of the key things that actually starts to bring people's faith in some of the forecast stuff is, is knowing that, oh, okay. So, you know, I remember that, you know, terrific year or that really terrible year. And so you're telling me this particular climate driver was behind it. Then I actually start to perhaps maybe pay a bit more attention. Tell us about the work you've been doing on improving how we can make better decisions looking at a whole range of these things and pulling them together. I, I mentioned sort of earlier on about this idea of, you know, the head, heart and gut. And I think that's an important one because what we were just discussing there was combining your head and your gut influence. You know, you remember back to eight, ten years ago, a certain season that seemed to be shaping up the same way. And that will help inform it along with the facts of what the seasonal forecast might be telling you. So that, that's an important part of it. But other things I think that are important in the decision-making process and I try and get across to people, one is that this idea of, I'll call them tipping points for one of a, a better term. So if we were thinking about the seasonal forecast for argument's sake, we might say, I'd think differently about this decision if the seasonal forecast was predicting and most of the models were predicting much wetter than average compared to if most of the models were predicting much drier than average I would start to think differently about my decision. It's not the only thing I'd use, but there's a point where I think, oh, if it's like that, I'll think a bit more like, you know, this way. Oh, if it's like that, I'll think about something else or I'll put more emphasis on doing something else. So part of this decision-making, so the first bit, the head, heart and gut stuff, is really about identifying what are those critical factors we should consider. But then within each of those critical factors, then there'll be these tipping points. And the tipping points become important as we move further into the 
the decision-making process because there is a point where you'll jump, where you'll think differently about a decision. Oh, if it's like that, oh, then I'll do such and such. And we need to try and define those or narrow those down a bit more. And it's where the risk side of it, so people looking at, you know, the level of risk they want to take on, this is partly where risk comes into it in defining those tipping points or those decision points. And the last thing I'd add into that, so the third bit that I think is really critical, is that we make decisions on balance, particularly complex ones. So when there are multiple considerations or critical factors or things we need to be thinking about, you know, if it's only one or two, it's a pretty easy decision to make. But when you've got five or six things that you're sort of juggling or balancing and they may not be of equal importance, we need to find some way of being able to you know, balance those up and say, yep, that's important, that's important, that's important, but this one's probably twice as important as those other ones. So we need to be able to make a decision where we can balance up each of those um, individual uh, factors or influences. And so putting some weighting or some numbers on them is a useful way of being able to do that. Being able to incorporate those three in a decision, I think, helps you make a better decision. This is where we will leave part one of our discussion with Cam. In the next episode, Cam explains the practical format he uses on his property to make decisions. In the show notes, you can find more information and links to decision-making content. You can also get in contact with us at the.break at agriculture.vic.gov.au. Thank you for listening to My Rain Gage is Busted. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria and the Tribe. O-S-O-I-N-S-S-T And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get the break. Oh, this bloke Dale, he's a ridgy ditch. He knows about the subtropical ridge. The science comes in a secret code. But he knows about the southern annular mode. Well, it's SST anomaly. Lead us to a death cell of one, two, three. The Nino 3 and Nino 3.4. Well, I've never heard of these terms before about SOINSSTs. And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get the break. Or keep your eyes out for Enso. Will it rain then? If so, when so? The farmers need you to be specific. What's happening out in the Pacific? Well, westerly wind bursts blow away. All our hopes of that rainy day. And will this year bring an El Nino? Come on, tell us, Dale. Because we have to know about SOIs and SSDs. Someone please explain to me. Stay up to date. Get it right. Oh, S O I and S S T. What on earth is an I O D? Someone please explain to me. Stay up to date. Get it right.